Welcome to the Rock Health Podcast, where we talk to investors, entrepreneurs, and healthcare stakeholders to get an inside take on the biggest trends in digital health. This podcast is brought to you by the The Rock Rock Health Health Team. Team. Join us and build something useful. All right. Well, I'm really excited to get started with today's podcast. I'm Bill Evans. I'm the CEO and Managing Director of Rock Health and uh, really excited to be talking to two of our fund's portfolio companies, Omada Health and Evidation. Individually, they have been just incredible leaders and trailblazers in their respective domains within digital health. And what's really exciting today is that given their heritage as evidence-driven and evidence generation platforms, they've come together around some exciting things that they're doing in partnership to generate compelling evidence and to really, I think, move the needle for the industry. And um, I'm gonna let each of them introduce themselves here. And and we're gonna have a really interesting, uh, hopefully in-depth conversation about the partnership that uh, Cynthia and Jesse are gonna talk about with um, with the two companies, Omada and, and Evidation respectively. So. Cynthia, maybe would you start and introduce yourself, and uh, and then we'll go to Jesse. I'm Cynthia Castro-Sweet. I'm the Clinical Research Director for Amata Health. So I oversee our portfolio of research studies to generate evidence on the clinical and economic value of our programs as, as we rapidly expand and offer more uh, solutions to our customers. Fantastic. And Jesse, would you do the same? Hi there, I'm Jesse Jusla. Uh, at Evidation Health, I'm the Executive Director of Digital Health Outcomes. But I've had kind of a journey at Evidation Health. Uh, I spent about five years there really building out our both our research and our digital clinical operations functions that where we really deliver all our key research and evidence largely with life science partners. So we work with a lot of the largest biopharma companies. I was often overseeing studies as the principal investigator, et cetera. But over the past year, I've actually kind of moved into a new role where I'm working on the cutting edge of how we're partnering with health tech and digital health companies. How do we bring virtual health to the next level? And how can this really be a legitimate part of our new paradigm in healthcare delivery? So I'm excited to talk more about all of that today. Awesome. I love how even in the introduction here, the words evidence, validation, clinical research are really the emphasis. Over half of Rock Health's portfolio investments are in companies that are in some way doing some level of validation and evidence generation. And it's really become the standard for those business models that require it in the industry. So with that as as prelude, Cynthia, I'd love to get you maybe to lead off here and give us some background on Omada's perspective and legacy of research, you guys, I think, just built the company on really powerful research in in the initial programs that you created going way back to the beginning, but also the need to conduct really high quality and rigorous research around some of the things you want to do going and are doing going forward around hypertension and diabetes self-management and how that led to the partnership with Evidation as well. Yeah, you know, uh, research and generating evidence of our programs has been a core value for Amada from our origination. You know, our first ever users were research participants. So it's it's just part of our fabric as a company that we we know we have a good product. We believe in it, but we also need to prove it to ourselves and and to the external stakeholders. So research and evidence generation is a constant process um, of, across all of our product lines. 
And, you know, it's part of how we do business. We know the evidence is important, one, for the internal integrity of the product. You know, a lot of what we're doing, we're, we're not creating new treatments. We are trying to find ways of taking what's already been evidence-based and use technology to really enable better access and reach and uh, daily use of these programs. So we need to, you know, think about our origins and the evidence that produced these programs and be able to replicate that and show that this transformation and uh, translation of it into technology-enabled formats still holds the essential elements and the essential clinical validity. So that's why we do it. We also know it's important to our customers, particularly the payers. They're the ones investing in us, and they want to make sure that it's a good fit that it's also going to improve and impact the health and well-being of their population. And so we take that very seriously. And that's why it's just part and parcel of how we how we do business and, and will always be. I think the challenge has been uh, trying to keep up with the evidence need as you know the, our world gets more complicated and our program offerings are expanding and we're trying to think more holistically about the people we serve. We're never just treating someone with diabetes or just hypertension. You know, people are much more complex than that. So we have, you know, more integrated offerings and have to think about people differently and think about their healthcare metrics differently. You know, we've always had our eye on evidation. Uh, We have a lot in common and kind of run in the same circles and have similar kind of scientific backgrounds. So, you know, we're kind of kindred spirits. And I don't know, Jesse, I I could think back to four or five years ago, and we've been trying to find the right opportunity to do a partnership uh, between Omada and Evidation. And we've kind of made some fits and starts in the past and just were, you know, needed that right opportunity with the right kind of project and the timing and everything kind of came together for us last year. And, and we actually launched two projects with Evidation and they've been going really well. So it took us a while to kind of make that fit and get it to the right spot. But but now that we're there, we're really seeing the benefit of it. Cynthia, really well said. There's a lot of synergy. There's a lot of value for you to unlock. And I, I've heard you guys refer to this really as an intellectual partnership as much as it is a business-driven uh, set of goals that you want to achieve together. So what, what benefits does the model that Evidation supports provide you as you're working to test the efficacy of a new or updated product? Yeah, good question. You know, I really respect the scientific uh, knowledge base that Evidation has. They're good researchers, but they also know kind of this world of new data that we are discovering and what people are doing in their daily lives and how we can be learning from that. Kind of more old school clinical research was really based on, you know, tests that were kind of one point in time, uh, but didn't really capture what led up to that result. And I think Evidation's really proven that there's a lot more information we could be gathering than we know about uh, and that we could leverage and and help us give us better insights into our populations that we're working with. I think we still always have to pay respect to those more traditional metrics out there. Um, But I think we've we've got more opportunity in the future with work like Evidation is doing and, and tapping into new sources of information and more dynamic information than we used to have. Absolutely. And Jesse, to just switch to you a bit here, you know, Evidation has really been a leader in transforming study design and execution, doing that in a technology and community enabled way. I mean, some really interesting features to your company that I'm sure are attractive to Omada. Um, what's been particularly interesting or rewarding for you in working with Omada on, on a project like this? 
So as Cynthia spoke about, we've we've had a longstanding relationship. Uh, and so there are the points where I think our teams really um, have a lot of synergies. There's complementary expertise. We have similar emphasis on scientific rigor, quality standards, et cetera. The other piece that I do want to highlight here is at Evidation, we are really focused on enabling and empowering people to participate in their own health outcomes and in better health outcomes. And so we really look to work with companies that that also fit that vision. And Omada is exactly that. Their programs are all about really giving people control over their own lives and helping them change behaviors and helping them really become healthier and, and live healthier lives. And, and that's really kind of the crux, I think, of what's really exciting for us about working with a company like Omada. So you said you guys have been thinking about doing stuff together for a while. What helped it crystallize? How did you ultimately identify this as a really good a partnership opportunity? Uh, well, Amada had a new product, our diabetes self-management program. In our previous attempts to work with Evidation, we were always trying to figure out how to kind of triangulate information. We were either working with one of our customers or a payer or trying to tap into data that either Omada didn't have direct access to or maybe Evidation didn't have to. So we always had to bring in like a third entity that was comfortable with both companies that kind of grasped what we were trying to accomplish. And, and I think we just weren't there yet. You know, we were there, Evidation was there. It was just hard to get that other key player that had that information or had that data that we needed to really kind of pull everything together. And so we, you know, we just were trying to figure out the right combination and weren't quite getting there. Um, but with the current product, you know, we had more direct access and we had a good partner. Omada already had a relationship with Quest Diagnostics. And so we were leveraging them to give us laboratory information on our participants. And that was like kind of the holy grail of what we we're looking for. You know, we know there's a lot of great data out there, but, you know, you talk to payers, you talk to a lot of different stakeholders, and they still want to see that A1C result. You know, they still want to see medications and pill count, things like that. So we have to kind of triangulate some of this information to sort of pay homage to the traditional standards and medical data and what people think about, but also kind of the new world of information we can collect more dynamically. So when our diabetes program launched, we had this partnership with Quest. We knew we could kind of unlock that clinical data and have more direct access to that. But we really wanted to test out this program with a diverse group of users, get a fresh perspective on what they thought of our program, how they were using it, uh, and get some insights into their experience with it. And so all of the pieces were there at the right time uh, when we were launching this product and wanted to do some pilot studies of it. And same thing with our hypertension program. Omada's got some of the hardware to collect some of the information, but we also need the insights and the participant experience kind of un, untouched by Omada. We, we need that objective evaluation of what we're doing. So these two products had all the key necessary pieces and, and the time was right and we were ready and Evidation was ready and, and it was time to make it happen. To add on to that as well, you know, as you think about the, the market in general, digital health, how Evidation has evolved over time, it is exactly as Cynthia said, it's about having all the pieces lining up. And I think we're at a point in the market where things are really lining up to you know, have more and more novel data streams available digitally. Uh, Evidation is over time, we are continuing to evolve our product to really bring in more and more data streams. We've been talking with Cynthia and her team about additional studies we can do, other data streams that maybe we couldn't get three years ago, but we can now. And so we're constantly kind of working on that, trying to stay on that cutting edge of what are the new things we can bring in. 
And just like we are evolving, you know, companies like Omada are going through a life cycle as well. And so they need different things at different points. So I think it's really kind of about finding that right point where it's like, okay, the, the right data streams are there. Let's jump in now. And from the evidation standpoint, we've been working with various digital health companies over the years, but we've really been focused, you know, the last five years on on our biopharma clients and really growing that piece of the market. And we're at a point, I think, with digital health and health tech where things have evolved quite far, right? The last five years, there's been a ton of development. And I think we're really at a point where there's some really interesting and valuable stuff on the horizon that, you know, similarly to, to how we're working with Amada, I think there's just a lot of that type of opportunity, that type of studies, trials, et cetera, coming up. Right, Jesse. I mean, it sounds like for you and the growth that you're seeing in life sciences, as well as digital health payers and providers, it's about having these novel data streams and Evidation's ability to bring them in, rationalize them, and make them a, a really meaningful part of the study. Is is that a fair way to, to put it? Exactly. Yeah, we're really all about, you know, how do we bring together all of these data streams and really focusing on how can we get data directly from people? So I'm sure you know the term PGHD, person-generated health data, really focusing on how do we connect directly with people in their daily lives and what are the data streams that they can enable and connect to us, whether they're passive or whether there are some that are actually a bit more interactive. There, There's different value points in, in many, many different types of data. So we're really trying to capture all of the meaningful ones. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe let's switch to a question for Amada. You know, I'm really intrigued. How does this investment that you guys have made historically in peer-reviewed studies, randomized controlled trials, and, and decentralized clinical trial studies like the one with Evidation fit into your broader strategy? And you, you alluded to this a bit at the beginning, Cynthia, but I'll, I'll just add one other observation. Every time I talk to Sean Duffy, the co-founder of Amada, I think there's another handful he tells me about of studies. So this is core to your strategy. Could you just say a few words about that? Yeah, sure. Um, like I said, there's two primary reasons why we want to generate evidence. One, we want to know how the program is working and who it's working for best and how we can optimize it. So it's not just about doing a study to show that it works and like, quick, let's run with it. We all, we're constantly in a cycle of improvement and iteration on our program. So the more information, the more we can learn about how it's working, who it's working for, where are our pain points, we can make a better product. And, and we're all about constantly refining and improving what we're putting out there. So we need it for that. And then also we need it for our engagement in the market. You know, I think it, it should be table stakes, whether or not it is. I think having your own evidence on how your programs work should be a, an essential part of the conversation to get you in that room to talk with customers. I think we've seen, you know, there's a little bit of a uh, wild west out there. Some, some companies have it, some don't. We feel very strongly that it's important. And we also hold our position in the market as important too. We see ourselves as a, a good model of what a company with integrity should stand for, and that should be having a constant evidence generation process. So whether companies to the left and the right of us are doing it, that's not my concern. I want to know what my company is doing and how we are standing beside our product and putting it under scrutiny, applying rigorous scientific principles to prove that our 
programs work because we are merging into this world of healthcare and healthcare has a long-standing reputation of evidence-based medicine. So we we need to speak to that and we need to be a part of that conversation and we're only going to get in there if we have our own evidence. And becoming a part of healthcare, it is a long game. <laughs> we're not just here to kind of like try to get the easy wins. We really want to change and help influence the shape of healthcare for the future. So we know those conversations with payers, with policymakers, with those bigger, broader stakeholders, you have to have good, clean, rigorous evidence because that's how those important decisions really are made and and should be made. And we want to be a part of that. Yeah. I mean, just speaking from the investor perspective as Rock Health and having, you know, help screen Rock Health's portfolio all the way back in 2012 and thinking about the evolution and what we see in the ecosystem between then and now, there's been, to my great relief and joy, there's been a real groundswell in recognition among founders and other investors that, that the things that you just said, Cynthia, are really absolutely operative in this industry where you're touching patient health. It's not just advantageous from a business model point of view. It's it's fundamentally ethical and, and necessary. I actually want to flip it to Jesse a little bit too, because you guys get to see a big cross-section of the industry And it feels like we're in this era where verified study results are much more the norm, and rightly so. I guess one of my questions for you, Jesse, is how should the market and and folks who are buying these products, um, how do they know what constitutes a rigorous study versus what's cherry-picked or just marketing and sales leads? This this is like the kind of thing that we as an investor think about, but also the consumers, uh, the buyers of services like Omada think about. What, what, What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So the gold standard, you know, to payers, providers, et cetera, has always been peer review. And so I think that often is really still there. And and you can look at studies published in peer-reviewed journals, results presented at scientific conferences, et cetera, and, and know that those are are pretty solid. Um, and you've seen that for sure in how Omada is approaching their evidence strategy. Omada has published a lot of very rigorous results. So I think that's that's always kind of an easy check. Obviously, there are going to be a lot of things out there as well that that companies, they put out white papers, et cetera, that they use different kind of venues and different methods to bring information. So I think you'd kind of want to be able to have a trained researcher take their own look if it hasn't kind of been verified by someone else. On, on the question of how do you know if something's cherry-picked or marketing and sales-led, I think that the reality is it's it's okay to test and learn. My personal opinion, we don't have to, I think, worry that if we see a good result, it's been cherry-picked. Hopefully, we live in a world where all these companies are, are testing, they're learning, as Cynthia was saying, they're seeing what's working, what's not, and then they're investing more in what's working. They're updating and modifying their programs and their tools based on the learnings over time of what is working. And so then what these customers eventually see is the stuff that's worked. And, and that's great, right? We want to be able to, to learn and evolve our digital health tools. I think it's really then about, has there been some sort of check mark that it's either been peer reviewed or someone with a researcher mind can take a look at it? And you can usually make a pretty quick assessment of was something done in a rigorous way? Is this true scientific evidence? Or is this really just something splashy that, that a company wants to try to put out there? Yeah, it gets me thinking and leads me to a question for you, Cynthia. So in light of the things that Jesse said, and, and I and I know how Omada operates and you shared really kind of your emphasis on the evidence. So you're a for-profit company, right? And at the end of the day, the programs have to work, they have to be profitable, and they have to be validated. How do you balance those trade-offs and ensure the 
the rigor, the scientific independence of the clinical studies that, that you're working on within OMADA? If you were to get a peek at our organizational structure, uh, the clinical research team, we roll up to the chief medical officer who reports to our CEO, Sean Duffy. And we're a trusted and somewhat protected section of the organizational structure. I don't have people telling me how I should be doing my research to benefit the company. I know what the needs are for evidence. You know, what are our programs coming out? What do we need in terms of our, you know, our metrics and our outcomes that we need to show? But it's on me and it's on my scientific training to do my best job at designing studies, pulling in external partners when needed to craft studies that meet the right rigor for the product at that time. So not every product is going to need a randomized clinical trial right out of the gate. I think the scientific field knows that. It's an iterative process. So we kind of have to right size the type of research we're doing given the maturity of the program and our experience with it. Um, But I'm given quite a bit of responsibility and latitude to make those decisions for the program with the investment and the trust of the company. You know, I'm, I kind of have a position where I'm the only, only person who could do what I do at Omada. And I think that's an important thing to look at at any, any kind of company, whether it be digital health or any other kind of product, like where is the scientific team? What is their relationship within the organization and what kinds of structures do they do their research in? I think those are some of the sort of telltale signs to show you, you know, what sort of scientific standards that company holds and what they're willing to invest in. So that's how we work. That's how we operate. And I, I'm a trained scientist. I went to graduate school. I have a PhD. I also hold a clinical license in psychology. So I have ethical and moral and scientific responsibilities that supersede my current engagement with OMADA. And so the, the work I pour into my studies now is what I've been trained to do. I just happen to be doing it here for OMADA for a company that I really believe in and enjoy working at. But the nature of my science is really informed by my training as a scientist and my ethical obligations as a psychologist. So I think those are some of the things that are valued, but are hard to really decipher and see clearly and take a little bit of kind of snooping around to see how are the scientific teams structured within companies, uh, where do they sit in the company and what kind of independence or or latitude do they have to make decisions. Um, So that's how that's how we do it. I think it's a good model. There will be, you know, needs for refinement as we get bigger and our products get more complex and we need to bring in more expertise, but uh, it works really well. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And I, I love that my company trusts my training and my expertise that I know what good science looks like. And I think my trucker record can speak to that too. And the external validation we get of the science we do, I think just kind of enforces that, that we're using a good model. Yeah. I mean, I, what you're saying, Cynthia, is I think resonates so deeply with me and Rock Health as an investor. I look at things this way, you know, having spent a decade plus in a life science company myself on the business side, and I'm not a scientist as everyone who knows me, but having led teams that are conducting this kind of research inside of a biopharma life science company on the diagnostic side, I should say. But what I would say is that what you described is very much a parallel to what life science industries incumbents do today. And I think that that's really important for folks in the ecosystem to hear and it's how we, as Rock Health, look, looks at the ecosystem and potential investments. And maybe I'll use that as a stepping off point because there are a lot of parallels and, and I think even lessons, if I dare say, 
for life science incumbents in what you're doing. One of the things that we talked about was decentralized clinical trials, which is a, you know, kind of we're going a layer deep into this, right? So for the real healthcare nerds listening to our podcast, uh, this is where we double click into kind of how it all works and, and where the industry is going. So I'm really interested to hear you guys talk about decentralized trials, but maybe even before we start, one thing that can be really helpful to folks listening is you guys are experts. Could you just help discriminate between a decentralized clinical trial and what is termed a virtual clinical trial? Because those two words sometimes get used interchangeably, but but they really probably shouldn't. Sure, I can I can take a stab at that. Really, virtual has been used, I think, fairly broadly over time, uh, but it can be interpreted in different ways. And so really the FDA is trying to be very crisp in the use of decentralized when we're talking about robust clinical trials that are done outside of a site-based setting. So those that are done kind of via direct communication or direct connection to to the actual participants and not run out of brick and mortar sites. So they're still, you know, a clinical trial of a product where you're testing whether it works, often in a randomized fashion, but you know, done outside of a brick and mortar site. Whereas I think virtual study, virtual trial, it can cover a broader range of different investigations or, or studies that are done in a more digital way. Right. Really helpful context. And it's probably worth also noting, you know, from my own background that I think the pharma industry has sort of been dipping its toes into decentralized trials for at least a decade or more. Um, some have jumped in a little bit more than others. Uh, others are a little bit more wary or have been. I think COVID is changing the the narrative here, and it's really forcing the industry to become more decentralized. I guess you guys are showcasing how to do that in your partnership right now. And I'd love to hear from you guys and talk about that a bit. What do big organizations who want to scale decentralized trials, what capabilities do they need and how do you do it? I don't think that these organizations necessarily need anything beyond what they currently have. They really need uh, essentially the commitment to doing things in a decentralized way, to being innovative, just to understanding what are the advantages this can bring them. So, you know, I think they can work with partners like Evidation that can bring the actual technology to them. And it's less about the technology or expertise that they necessarily have in-house. They just really need to have the commitment to innovating, to thinking broadly, to thinking a bit more creatively about where data streams can come from, how we interact with participants in, in studies and trials, and how we can expand the types of questions we can answer with these sorts of investigations. There are also concerns, I guess, maybe, or at least some, if not skepticism, some reticence to jump in headlong within the life science industry. How, how would you address those those concerns or that skepticism? I can take a turn at that. So, you know, I think scientists, we're a cautious bunch, right? For good reason. But we're also all about experimentation. What we've been seeing is kind of a slow expansion of our comfort zone around what science should look like and moving towards newer, more innovative models that still hold rigorous standards and that still can speak to outcomes that are of broad interest, but are just executed in more efficient and timely ways than we, we are used to doing things. So... I think there's been this broader movement. There's 
groups like the Clinical Trials Transformation Initiative, which is this big initiative with a lot of stakeholders across industries and government settings and, and lots of different players, you know, CROs, people coming together trying to decide what are the new standards in this new world and how do we get there and what are the guidelines? Let's find some common ground that we all agree on of what good decentralized trials could look like. So I think we're getting there. I think some of us are a little bit more uh, willing to take that leap because we know what good science looks like and we're just trying to think of faster, more innovative ways. And I think being in the digital health space just sort of primes us to be a little bit more receptive to new ways of doing things and experimentation and, and new ways of doing what we know how to do. So I think that core kind of fundamental scientific rigor to what we do, it, it's still there. It just doesn't maybe look the way you're used to seeing it and how we're getting the data. It's a little bit different than we used to access it. How we're getting in touch with people and bringing people into trials is a little bit more democratic than the way we used to do it, where you know you had to be a patient within a health system that was approved to be approached for research. We're taking away some of those institutional barriers, uh, and I think more entities are moving that way. If you look, there's academic centers that and research institutions that are moving towards a decentralized vision of clinical trials. And you nailed it, Bill. Like COVID really, I think, enhanced the urgency for this. I think prior to COVID-19, we were still kind of in this world where, yeah, we need to go there. Decentralized is the wave of the future, but what's the rush What's wrong with the old way of doing things? And I think we've learned that there is a lot wrong with the old way of doing things. And we really can't work in that environment anymore. We can't have science come to a standstill because all of the risks involved with people going to central locations and getting exposed to lots of different populations, just the normal course of business and doing an old school clinical trial. So I think COVID-19 really accelerated the pace. We were already there doing our work with Evidation. So I think the comfort zone's getting bigger which is a good thing. And I think the more that groups like Omada and Evidation publish the work we're doing and speak to it and help bring others along, we'll get there. But we need some trusted voices and a chorus of voices uh, showing that this new world of doing clinical trials, it doesn't mean it's less than, it doesn't mean it's less rigorous or it's less scientific. It is just a new, more innovative and hopefully more efficient and democratic approach. Yeah, that's really helpful, Cynthia. And what I'm hearing you say, if I'm understanding correctly, is there are no regulatory barriers per se. There really are just a set of scientific and operational issues that are that are really important and have to be thought through carefully. But there's sort of a clear path and line of sight to how to do that in organizations that are ready for it. Is that is that a fair summary? Exactly. Yeah. Structures, institutes, research centers were kind of set up to do it brick and mortar style. So it's the path of least resistance. Um, there are new ways of doing it. There's new technology, new ways of doing lab testing, more decentralized lab locations where we can get more information on people. That's high quality data. It's just not how people are used to doing business or maybe there's not that direct control because it's not my staff that's running the study. I have to have a trusted partner that's set up to do it until my institution kind of evolves to the point where it can work in a decentralized world. So I think we're in a transition point. You know, it's a matter of of us educating ourselves and our peers about alternative but equal options to do trials uh, relative to the way we were kind of maybe trained to do it when we were 
in graduate school. Yeah, that phrase, the path of least resistance is really apropos because the path of least resistance has changed dramatically uh, with COVID. And it's now just not possible to do many of the trials that we've done in a traditional way in the past, at least for the foreseeable future. With that thought in mind, I'd love to wrap up on a question about the future. You know, both of you have an incredible bird's eye view on the industry from slightly different angles. This path of least resistance around trials and also around chronic care as well, this has changed. Being virtual, being decentralized, being tech-enabled is now, in some cases, the only way to deliver care. Give me a crystal ball read here. What do you think the implications on certainly your business, but on the industry and healthcare as a whole are going to be for chronic care, for research, and for the areas that you guys look at, given what we're going through right now with the pandemic? I really see it as a true impetus for bringing in novel data streams, for bringing in new ways to help us quantify and understand outcomes, behaviors, just real world experience with health. You know, in the past, healthcare has been this very episodic thing where you go to a physician, you know, maybe once a year, you're in a study and you see someone three times a year, whatever it is. But the reality is we are all experiencing our health every single day. And we have all these new digital tools and digital methods of bringing in data about people's real world experience. Um, We can have everyday views of their disease burden. We can use data to identify when and with what to intervene. Uh, We can understand real world effectiveness of different programs or products in new and innovative ways. And I think being thrust into the situation as we have been is hopefully really going to bring us to that point where people really just embrace it and really implement these types of programs and these types of studies and this type of research and bring us forward to a world where we are really truly understanding real world experience with novel data streams. One example I was speaking with a colleague about yesterday, which I think would be really interesting, as we're thinking about measuring blood pressure, what if you could actually have your activity tracker data alongside when someone's taking blood pressure measurements for a study, and you could alert them and say, hey, you were just quite active. You should have been calm for 15 minutes before you took that measurement. Please retake it, right? There's all these new ways where you can layer data streams. And I, I think this is just bringing us into a world where hopefully we can really get the value from from these new tools that are available to us. Yeah, and I think we'll move to a world where we have more faith and trust in remote ways of not only helping people with their chronic conditions, but also monitoring how they're doing, uh, right? Because we can do both. And I think we can prove and show the evidence that both have great validity and reliability. The way we see it at Omada, you know, we're helping people with their chronic conditions. Their care team has a lot of say in in what people need to do to get their health in better shape, but they can't go home with them. That's what we can do. We can wrap our arms around them, go home and help people figure out how to put the pieces together remotely uh, and in how they're living their everyday life so that it's not just, you know, you go back in to your care team and you find out if what you were trying to do worked or not. We can be much more dynamic with it and help people make those small adjustments every day to get them onto that that path. And we can remotely monitor it. You know, I think the future in diabetes, it's, it's all about continuous glucose monitoring. We can get such better insights into how people are managing their blood glucose and and in a dynamic way and how their sleep and their medication use and their 
food intake and their exercise, how it all kind of fits together with, you know, care teams that can see that happening and be able to give people the right insights at the right time. And so I think those remote monitoring pieces, that remote data collection, I think we're going to get more kind of comfort around that as being, you know, equally valuable markers, um, if not better, <laughs> of people's uh, condition management than some of the kind of more tried and true traditional lab tests. So that's where I want to see the future of, of chronic condition care go uh, and, and the future of the science, you know, where we can be, like I said, much more democratic with who has access to these programs and what insights they can get from it and can give to their care teams and what evidence can come out of it. And I'd love to see scientists agree on the value of these data points and, and put them in on the right pedestal to help us kind of keep things moving towards more information, better insights, more timely and accurate understanding of how people are taking care of their health every day. Well, I think that's a wrap for us today. Jesse, Cynthia, really incredibly grateful for the chance to talk to both of you. Every time I do, I, I learn a bunch. I'm going to have to listen to this podcast again just to take down more of the notes on, on the things that you guys said. So really, really want to thank you both. Thanks for, thanks for joining me today. Terrific. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you, Bill. This was great. And for our listeners, before you go, I want to mention just a couple of things really quickly. Rock Health Summit is just around the corner, September 22nd and 23rd. Please check it out uh, and, and join us. I'm really thrilled with the lineup that we have for the summit this year. It's a virtual summit, of course. Uh, second, if you want to join Evidation and Omada in our portfolio, please reach out to me, email me, uh, or check us out at rockhealth.com portfolio join. And then third of all, separate from the fund, our advisory services business advises the major uh, enterprise-scale healthcare and non-healthcare companies, really helping them dive deep and uh, think hard about their digital strategies going forward. You can reach out to them at advisoryservices at rockhealth.com. Thanks, everybody. Mm -hmm.